Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Scummy Mummies Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies Podcast. It's me, Helen Thorne. And it's me, Ellie Gibson. And Ellie, I am thrilled to announce we have Clementine Ford on the podcast. Hello. Hi. All the way from Australia, just for us, Ellie. Oh my goodness, thanks so much. I mean, she's been to Oxford, Shoreditch, other places. But this <laughs> yeah. this is the place she wanted to be. You were like, Catford, that's, that's I want to fly halfway around the world to, to be in Catford. Is that mm. your dream? Oxford, Soho, Shoreditch, Catford. Absolutely. <laughs> my itinerary. Yes. Right there. I'm just going to go home after this. <laughs> I think your job's done, personally. You've, you've arrived here. You're on the scummy mummy sofa. Let's let's do a podcast, Ellie. Come okay, on, so we've got Clemmy. We, we're Clem, Clemmy, Clementine. I've never been a Clemmy, so it's about Fordo. Yeah, Fordo. 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 That's very Australian. That's yeah. Fordo. She's oh, she's taught me what, m- many things about your culture. Yeah. One of them being just put an O on the end of anyone's name and suddenly your best mates. So, oh, yeah. also, if if you can make it manly, then. That's yeah. it. That's true. Blue Aussie. Yeah, is white men. That's I like it. That's the only Australian that counts is a white man. Oh, thank God you've said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let's let's get you to describe who the hell are you, Clem Ford? Uh, so who am I? I am a feminist writer and speaker from Melbourne in Australia. Uh, I've written two books. They're both out here now. I'll just give them a little plug. They're called Yeah, Fight, let's do that. Fight like a girl and boys will be boys. And I'm also a mother to a three-year-old, beautiful three-year-old, little precious poppet. She's uh, saying this now because she's on the other side of the world, listener. If he was here now, she may not be saying the same thing. Uh, Put that down. Yeah. Give me that biscuit. Where are your shoes? Yeah. No, you can't have a snack. You can't have the microphone. No, go sit in the corner. <laughs> That's right. You don't need the toilet. You went three minutes oh, ago. Oh, dear. Oh, you love them so much, don't you? But just not when they're with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they're asleep, I find I'm like in deep mm. love with them. Oh, the precious thing. Oh, yeah. So a little three-year-old. So you're right in the shit of motherhood then. Three-year-old is, is quite hard, isn't it? I don't, You know what? I actually don't mind it. I think that there are parts of it that are really hard but I just really hated the babies Mm. you know the baby era was the sleep was shit the clinginess Mm. like when he was born I because I had a terrible pregnancy just really really awful pregnancy anxiety and I just kept looking forward to the day when he would be separate from me you know and I thought he would come out and I could just put him down Mm. and I'll just put him down and go to sleep yeah, you know? mm-hmm. but it didn't work out like that, Good. and uh, he never wanted to be away from me. Bless him. Um, just all, just one of those babies that just always needed to be on on me. So I got a baby carrier. I walked around the neighbourhood, you know, and I didn't stop working after he was born. So I was walking. I mean, luckily my work I can do at home, but um, you know, I was walking around the neighbourhood with him in, in a baby carrier, like typing, writing things out on my phone, writing articles and essays and things like that. Um, 
and I just found that just the intensity of the baby years was just so full on. Like I don't have a lot of patience at the best of times. Mm. And so now that he, as soon as he could start walking, everyone's like, Oh, watch out when they start walking. Cause then they'll never stop. And I just thought it's brilliant that I can put him down now. <laughs> See, it's weird, isn't it? Whereas I found that sort of more difficult once they can start walking around mm. and picking up things and like knives and putting their fingers in sockets. Mm. I found that quite stressful. But then you get past that and you get to a stage when they can get in the car themselves and put their own seatbelt on. Then you mm. feel like, oh, oh yeah. But that, that middle bit, I found that quite tough. Because babies, yeah. yeah. They, mine didn't sleep either, mind you. That's a bloody mm. nightmare. But, mm. you know. Oh, just that whole phrase, sleep like a baby. Mm. Yeah, whose baby? Not yeah. mine. <laughs> Not you, have you, sorry, have you met a baby? Yeah. <laughs> um, but also now that he can talk as well, I just find that talking to him is so interesting. And I mean, no one else would find it interesting, but I find it interesting. And that he can communicate his needs just makes everything so much more relaxed between us. You know? mm. And mm. all of that kind of intensity of the baby years where... You, you know, your logical brain, like, like there's a person inside you, you're watching yourself from a distance. You're watching, like an out-of-body experience, watching yourself completely lose your bundle yeah. at this tiny little creature that can't help it. And you're taking it so personally. You're like, why are you doing this to me? Like it's a, it's a conspiracy or something. And that little voice that's kind of like hovering outside of you watching you is like, calm down. Mm. It's all right. You know, it's just a baby. Just take a deep breath. And you're like, shut up, voice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to scream. What do they want? I'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. And also, I always thought before I was going to be a mother, I had an idea about what kind of mother I would Mm. be. And so you've always got... Very calm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was easy. I don't know what people were complaining about. It's a tiny human being that you just feed, change. Yes. And put down to sleep. But it just not like a pat on the bum. Yes, just, just yeah, tiny, just, a little bit of a muscle square. Off we go. Yeah. No. And you know, I was one of those mums that slept trained, slept trained, sleep trained, mm. and that's just oh, that's a fraught one, isn't it? You know, I'm fully in favour of it, but you mention it to other people, and yeah, I think everybody's got their own. No, everyone's got their own. Are you a fan of sleep training? I'm not, but I'm not you, and I don't have your child, and you've got to do, you know, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do to to survive, and, you know, um, otherwise you're no no good Mm. to anyone, so, you know. Having said that, you know, I sleep trained in the the beginning when he was six, six months, and then you just sort of go through phases, then we moved house, and he sort of went through another leap and, you know, growth spurt and stuff, and he ended up back in bed. And that was fine for a bit. And then it was taking another 90 minutes of me lying down next to him every night, you know, of a full day of, after a full day of parenting. And I'm just thinking, I just want, I'm so touched out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then I, I sleep trained again and now he's three and he sleeps with me every night. So it's, you know, it's not like one of those things where I didn't lock him in a room, you know, yeah, yeah. and say, no, no more cuddles for you. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why I can't have a cat because yeah. the, the way cats are on you all the time, I, I would end up locking them in a room. That's why I'm not allowed to <laughs> dreadful animals. But let's go, let's get back to the, the feminism, uh, Clementine. How old were you when you woke up and thought, I know, I'm going to become an international feminist legend? When, when, was, when was that? Mm, well, it happened just like that. <laughs> um... I was one of those people who, you know, I sort of, I had a very kind of, in lots of ways, privileged middle-class upbringing. Um, So I knew that terrible things happened to women outside Mm. of my environment. But I I had very much absorbed the message that everything was solved. Everything's fine, yeah. For us, you know. And and that feminists were just, they just, well, they were just complaining about 
They're so cross. Bollocks all the time, aren't they? Feminists? So cross and oh. so angry and ugly. <coughs> they hate all um, men. They oh, hate all men. So and the worst thing that you could possibly do was be a man hater. Oh, my oh, God. I can't wear a bra for shit. Oh. No. <laughs> Didn't want to shave. Nothing. Um, probably masturbated. Um, although I was doing a lot of that myself. So, um, But definitely not telling anyone about it. Um, you know, I was one of those people that was like, well, of course I believe in equal rights, but I wouldn't call myself a feminist. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, when Helen and I hear that, we have a little look, yeah. we give each other, don't we go, and then mm. we sip our tea. Mm. I call myself a oh, no, feminist. I'm a, I'm a feminist with a small F. That, that gets oh, I've never heard that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, just a little fuck yourself. Fuck <laughs> yeah. off. Fuck off. Tiny little yeah. feminist. Or, no. or, or my favourite as well. Well, you know, the problem with feminists is that they just want they just want special rights now. <laughs> and uh, I, saw, I saw a woman saying this today. Um... You know, feminism shouldn't come at the expense of men. It shouldn't. It's fine for women to want to have rights, but not if they're taking rights away from men. And I just thought, like, whoever said that? But also, feminism is not going to happen successfully, and men will be untouched by it. You know, they're not going to go through it completely unscathed by the impacts. Mm. Part of it is men losing power. Yeah, sometimes it's quite good to take a right away. For example, in the olden days, like used to, the, the, the lord of the manor had the right to sleep with like the farm worker's yeah. new bride on the wedding night. And I don't think it's a bad thing that that right was taken away. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would not really want to sleep. I don't know what it'd be. I'd probably just sleep with the mayor of Lewisham. <laughs> probably, I mean, I don't know. He probably wouldn't want to sleep with me, to be honest. But no. yeah, I'm quite glad that the I didn't fact have to that do he that. could. Yeah. 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 I mean, I didn't even sleep with my own husband on my wedding night, to be honest, too pissed. Who, but, does you know, who does, who does that? Who does that? Really? Nobody no, does that. We'll save ourselves. We'll That's save right. it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, I did it properly. Yeah. So, so so yeah. So and then I I sort of thought to myself, you know, like oh, I'm not a feminist, not a feminist, because I didn't want boys to not like me. You know, I was terrified that if boys thought that I was a feminist, then they wouldn't want to have sex with me. Um, I mean, they didn't want to have sex with me anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> there was a chance, maybe, yeah. if I was just nice and polite to them. Um, anyway, I got to university and realised that that was all bullshit, and started a gender studies class. Became like a fierce raging. Femo, sitting on the lawns with all of my other feminist friends, you know, briefly uh, doing everything I could that I felt gave me the markers of feminism. You know, look at my hair under my arms. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. (laughs) Um, Changing lies. Men can't be feminists. They can be pro-feminists, but they can't be feminists. Let's talk about hegemonic power. Um, (laughs) Did you get invited to many dinner parties? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, so then, then I just, it's kind of just all turned around, but I think actually, so now when I talk about that, it, it's not so much that I did a gender studies class and I learned, you know, the correct phrases to use. Cause I didn't actually really know how to apply any of them properly. <laughs> I still don't, to be honest. Um, what was the difference was that I formed a network of other women, you know, and I found solidarity and friendship with other women because when I was in school, I was also so deeply insecure about what kind of role I fulfilled as a girl because I, I didn't, you know, feel pretty. I didn't, I was too tall. I was too big. I was too, bleh, you know, it didn't feel like I had the right to kind of say like, I'm a girl. Yeah. Um, so I thought that the, well, the next best thing, if in fact, even maybe the better thing is to just be friends with all of the boys because they might want to go out with all of those girls, you know, that sort of like the Taylor Swift, she wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the, the better thing was that they were your friends and that they treated you like one of the one of the guys, you know, that they told you their secrets. And mm. basically now when you look back at you, just like they just used you as, you know, another form of another step in their learning to use women for emotional labor. Um, 
so I was like, well, I'm just, I just don't really like other girls. There's just so much drama. You know, I just, I get on better with boys. I'm just not like other girls really. Um, which sucked actually. Like when you think back on it, it felt good at the time in a weird way, like a, in a superficial way. But then when I got to uni and I made friends with all these women and, and felt like actually I was finally in a room full of people who kind of, I didn't have to, Firstly, I didn't have to just sit there and listen to their stories. You know, they were interested in what I had to say. Yeah. But also they didn't, you didn't, when you talk to other women, if it's the right kind of women, they're not going to be like, hmm, did it really happen like that? I yeah. don't know. That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like It's always two sides to, me, you know? to the story. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe what happened was this. Yeah. And I will explain it back to you in a way that feels comfortable for me, even though I wasn't there, but I think that's probably what really happened. So, yeah, I just kind of like realized the immense power of, you know, forming your own coven. So, so what, how would you sort of describe your, is it, would you say you, you have a Clementine Ford brand of feminism? Have you got a particular angle or a particular, what's your, what's yeah, your I mean, jam? Ah, uh, you know, brand is such a dirty word, <laughs> um, but it's true. I do. Um, I think that what I've probably become best known for is, uh, sort of a like a take no prisoners kind of approach you know Mm. um one of the things i think people associate with me best is the way that i respond to trolls online so Mm. like i you know i screen cap messages that they send me emails whatever and then i'll share them in you know on instagram or on facebook and And do you you name and shame yeah yeah yeah, totally like if there's a name attached or like i'll attach their their profiles to it and yeah. you know and they're always initially this has been happening again this week with some guy they're always initially like yeah yeah share see if i care like i knew that if i sent this to you that you'd be putting it on your wall of shame that's what i wanted and then within like 24 hours they're always like can you please take it down i just it's yeah. this is it's okay it's gone on too far now um so i think that like that's been really really successful because it's you know the way that we've all been raised to fear you know the horrible words that men sling at us mm that so many women kind of experience it and just shut down and they like close all their accounts or they like, they choose not to say the thing next time Mm. or they get really, really wounded by it, which of course like it's wounding, you know? Yeah. But you know, it's wounding the first time someone calls you a fat cunt, but it's not really particularly wounding when it's like the thousandth time. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that's something that I've been able to do. That's been really um, (sighs) like powerful or, you know, like galvanizing for women who follow me that they see me the way that I respond to men and they think, well, I can do that too. You know, not just to abusive fuckwits online, but Mm. maybe to the guy at the pub, you know, who's being rude to me or whatever. I mean, within reason, of course, like we always have to take into account our own safety, but, um, the question I always get asked as an Australian, uh, is, is what is toxic masculinity and you, you are Australia. That's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) In a nutshell. And, and so, so, and in, in within that culture, because I think the portrayal of Australian men outside of Australia is like, oh, he's a good bloke. He's a good Aussie bloke. Yeah. It's just bants, bit of fun, yeah. that kind of thing. And that's what I grew up with in, you know, country Australia. Oh, he's a top bloke. He wouldn't do anything. And, and I think what's been really interesting in the last few years, and especially because I follow you on um, Facebook, all those, I guess norms have been challenged and what Mm. impact that has not only on our culture but on our young boys and young Mm. girls well i think that still happens in australia you know Mm. that he's a good bloke oh he's he's a bloody good bloke he would never do anything like that oh no he's good he's good lad yeah just made a mistake you know yeah like we have as you would know we Mm. have um a an ex-footballer called wayne carey who is still given 
you know, commentating platforms and obviously still has, like, a very lucrative media career. And he glassed his girlfriend mm. 10 years ago, you know. Mm. And, and that's not the only thing that he's... That's not the only thing that he's even admitted to, you know. Um, he's also got a... He admitted to a... I don't know what the exact charge was, but he basically, like, physically assaulted a woman as well outside a nightclub, um, like, grabbed her breasts and said something derogatory about them. Um, but, yeah, he's a good bloke, you know. Mm. Good bloke. Oh, that was in all in the past, you know. Yeah. Did becoming a mum change your feminism at all, or was it... Yeah, I think so. Like, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think as well, but definitely, for me, it forged it even stronger. Like, firstly, physically, the whole experience of pregnancy and childbirth was just, like, out of this world. Mm. Um, I found... Uh, I found the the childbirth itself, like, was obviously traumatizing and even made me even more determined to maintain, you know, maintain my fierce like commitment to abortion rights. Um, but also just like really inspired a lot of rage in me to all of the male legislators who, I mean, apart from wanting to force birth on to people, just don't even understand. They've never taken any time to even bother to be interested in the physiological effects of pregnancy and childbirth on Mm. someone's body. You know, that like the risks that, Opposed. One in three women after giving birth wets themselves. Yeah. And that I remember after like five weeks postpartum going to the maternal health care nurse and saying, look, I'm just a bit concerned because I've, I've been having some, like my pelvic floor is quite weak. And, you know, three years later, it's mostly recovered in, in the way that, you know, no one's pelvic floor is probably going to be completely back to what it was. Yeah. So I'm doing my exercises now. So <laughs> yeah. I'm Me too. But I remember saying that to her and she just... Well, she was very nice, but she just handed me a, a pamphlet, a government pamphlet that said one in three women wet themselves after birth. And I was like, oh, okay, that's it then, is it? Wow. And so just that expectation that somehow we just like have babies and it's not, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, just yeah. have the baby. It's no big deal. Women do it every day. That's right. Big and deal. like this forever. So yeah. Just oh, you up. didn't do anything special. <laughs> you didn't do anything that no one else has done. You're like, well, you didn't fucking do it, mate. No. Um, so that like definitely brought a new element to my feminism, but also just... The gender divide in, you know, like, if you're partnered with a man. I mean, I'm, I know that this also happens in same-sex relationships, but it just was happened in my case that I was partnered with a man. Um, just the, the divide, the domestic workload, mm. and the, fractu- the fractures and the resentments that just build up because, I mean, there's, there's the reality that after the baby is born for a certain period of time, the birth parent is going to be the one that is called on the most. You yeah. Know? Mm. But it's just like the learning for a lot of people doesn't seem to be committed to on the other side. You know, mm. like by about four months in, I was like, okay, I think I understand this now. I think I kind of feel a lot more comfortable. And so I, because I was already like that far ahead in the learning curve, it was just almost as if like, oh, well, you know, you've got it, you know. Yeah. And I know that that happens for so many women that they just, it just infuriates me that the way that people talk about parenting is that like, oh, well, fathers and mothers are equal and fathers should be equally valued to mothers. It's like, yeah, I would fucking love that if they actually did the same amount of work. Yeah. Like, why is it that women, we have to do so much and yet we still have to, t- you know, one of the things that really fucking pisses me off so much now is the, like the abundance of posts that I see on social media from women praising their husbands, you know, Mm. Oh, just like, here's a photo of the most handsome dad in the world. I just want everyone to know how grateful I am for this wonderful man. You know, just shout out to 
Richard who, you know, let me sleep in this morning while he took the kids to the park. I just love this man so much, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, firstly, I never, ever see men posting tributes to the women in their lives. They just mm. don't seem to bother to do it. But what is that impulse that's that's going on there? That Why do women feel this strange need to, to perform this devotion to the outside world, you know? And mm. I think my theory about this is, this might be raising the hackles of some of your listeners, maybe they disagree. No, but, get those hackles up. No, we like it, go. we like it, go. Well, my theory is that with, with like a very accomplished women in particular, you know, women who like excel in their careers, women who are really smart, women who feel like, in, who, who really deep down know that actually they'd be fine on their own. Mm. That there is this sense that, they need to kind of reassure their partner publicly. They need to let him have a little bit of ego in front of other people. You know, yes, I know that I'm like this incredibly accomplished, smart, beautiful woman, but you know, I'm actually really just a big piece of shit. And I'm so lucky that you chose to be with me. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you're not doing anywhere near as much as I am to kind Mm. of sustain and support this family. I just need to reassure you so that your ego doesn't feel bruised by my successes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I sometimes can get riled up by posts that, that men do sometimes about their wives and then they go they go on to list all the things the woman does and she keeps this family together and she does this and she works so hard and I sometimes think, well, why don't you fucking just do yeah, it yeah. If she works so hard, why don't you take some of the fucking loads off? Yeah, exactly. Instead of doing a Facebook post about yeah. how great she is, let the dishwasher out. Yeah. The thing is, I don't know if that's a British man thing. I don't even see Australian men doing that, you right. know. But but yeah, exactly. Like, oh, just couldn't couldn't do it without her. Well, you're not doing it now, dude. Yeah, yeah. You're doing a Facebook post. Go and load yeah. the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, and you know that whole sort of like Mother's Day is the one day of the year where mums get the day off. You're like... yeah. What what is what have we become? Oh, I had the worst story <laughs> from a friend of mine. So you know, um, so this is just briefly touching on the sleep training thing again. She and her partner went to sleep school with their baby when he was you know six or seven months old or something like that. And her partner's very hands on. I mean, he is one of the ones that like would post. Mm. So I tell a lie. I've seen him do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so he came to to sleep school with her because he was like, well, it's you know, we're doing this together. We're in this together. I'm, I'm the dad and I want to be there. And all of the other women, because there's only women who were at the sleep school, mm. they were all like, oh, it's so good. What did you have to do to get him to come along? And Lou oh was like, God. I didn't have to do anything. He yeah. wanted to come because this is his child too. Yeah. He was invested in the child's sleep. And one of these mums said to her, oh, you know, I had to promise my husband that he could have a golf weekend away in exchange for us coming and Lou told me and I was like but he's at home now and you're here with the baby sleep school not on holiday but at the sleep school with the baby going through something quite emotionally distressing Mm. to help your child sleep so that you don't lose your mind Mm. and he's at home like just scratching his balls on the couch yeah and in exchange for that he gets to have a golf weekend yeah, I mean that seems perfectly fair, really. I mean he's done a great job. He's yeah. let her get out of the Just, house. You know, and how many women have you seen say things like, oh, "I've, you know, I've I've never had a night away from my children. Their children are like going to university or something like yeah. that. Had a night away from my children. I mean, not that to that extent, but." And it might, it's, you know, sometimes it's just because they've got control issues around it, and then other times they sort of joke like, "Oh, he'd never be able to cope." Yeah. You know. Mm. 
And the bargaining thing is like, we, do you remember this, Helen? We, so in our comedy show, we give um, the audience cards and pens, right? And we get them to write down like scummy mummy stories. Mm. And we had this, <laughs> we did a Christmas show, I think. And this woman wrote, and it is funny, but it's not funny, but it's funny. Um, on Christmas morning, I let my husband have anal sex with me. Uh, <laughs> you would hope. I mean, you'd hope, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, anal sex with me. Um, and so that the rest of the day... I could sit sit around and not do all the work because pretending I was in too much discomfort. And like, you're like, fucking hell. Oh my God. Like, so she didn't have to do the potatoes and, and things like that. We're like, the, the logic of that, like, all right, I'll take it up the arse. Yeah. And then I might, it might. Uh, I think she did. Actually, I quite enjoyed it, you know, each their own. But like, yeah, just, just the idea that you'd have to pretend to, ha- to be in pain from anal sex to get your husband to to top and tail a Brussels sprout and that he would, be, he would be willing to do it because he was so grateful yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean she was so happy oh. oh my god that makes me feel sick there's your next book there's the anal part about Put it that, you know like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. said each their own but just the uh, uh, I remember when I was pregnant. the work's not done is what we're saying <laughs> Sorry, the work is not I done think, I think she needs to come to all our shows and analyse the confessions and yeah like, oh. we, we are surprised so every night we do our show and we go all around the UK and we have thousands and thousands of these I mean mummy confessions so in the last six years we've basically got this incredible snapshot yeah. of British motherhood mm. and like some confessions are really sad and some are funny yeah we get to us we get quite a lot there we've had a few times now is I um I have a gym membership but I just go there I pretend I'm going to the gym but I just have a shower and then I play Candy Crush <laughs> you know stuff <laughs> like that which again is is hilarious but it's also it's really depressing god really depressing that women as women we have to do that we have to pretend we're doing some sort well, of worthy thing because we we can't we feel that we can't say yeah. i just need to go and sit on my own for but that's the hour. thing is that we don't have to do it right you know and and of course like there's there's have to and then there's have to you know a lot of women do have to do that in mm. order to get quote unquote time off mm. but we don't have to do that like how do we change the dynamics not just in partnerships, but but how do we change the dynamics in the way that women are conditioned to see themselves so that they're not having to wheedle and negotiate time away just to, like, sit in their car and think for a bit, you know? Yeah. Men never have to wheedle and negotiate time away. Mm. You know, the amount of men who, who will say things like, well, when they went back to work after the baby was born, you know, they, they got to work late or... You know, or they would say I'm working late because I would just go and sit in the car and just have a bit of a break, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. Work is your break. Work is your nine-hour break, and then you come home and you start your real job. Yeah. I remember being, like, weirdly envious of Pete's commute. The fact that he got to sit on a train, or even where we live, stand on a train more likely, yeah. and just look at his phone or read a book or mm. listen to music for, like, 45 minutes without anyone asking for a biscuit or needing a nappy change or having to, you know, I, I just found that really like, oh, what I wouldn't give for an hour and a half a day mm. where like, yeah. No and, one was touching you. Well, yeah. on, on the train there would be, but yeah. 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 But in a nice way. Yeah. yeah. But, but how, sorry, yeah. And I was going to say, it's just a break from the worry. Like I just, that parenthood mm. fundamentally changed me. And I used to look at other mums like, why they said worried, you know, parenthood was fine. But then that fear and that worry overtook me. And, like, when I was with my baby, I was just like, what's going to happen? And even, like, I went a bit mental going, oh, 
you know, I just, I can't, I can't do this. And like when I could get out of the house, I just, just to be free of that sort of mm. worry. Um, but then I'd be it's liberating. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Well, of course, like you look forward to it. And then the yeah. first few times you do it, you feel like I just want to be with my baby. Yeah. Yeah. You have you that know? withdrawal. It's terrible sort of, you want to carry the, the essence of them with you, mm. but just not be touched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Them, just, just be out. Um, and, then, and then your breast would leak while yeah. you're walking around Zara. You're like, I yeah. can do this. <laughs> I, I've got this idea that, um, you know, and, and it's, some women will find it easier to do than others for a number of different reasons. But so I had to go, I, I went back to work as soon as my baby was born. Um, and I work for myself so I could do that because I didn't have to go back to an office. Yeah. Um, when I was, when he was six months old, I had to go into state for the first time. And so that was also partly why we did the sleep training. Well, I say we, partly why I did the sleep training. Um, because prior to that, like he was just, breastfed to sleep and you know I would lie down with them every night and we kind of fell into this pattern where it was assumed that I would just do that work and everything else Mm. um and he wouldn't you know take the bottle he didn't he was a baby that never wanted a a dummy or a bottle or anything like he just wanted to suck on my tit um and I just I knew that I had to go away so I was like well we have to we have to do this, you know, I have to like figure out how he can sleep by himself and how he can get on the bottle. And look, to be honest, if I just left the house earlier, like when he was younger and just insisted that he take a bottle, then he would have had to do that. You know, Mm. it's it's the baby, you know, of course, if the boob's there, why are you going to drink, you know, skimmed milk if you've got full cream milk in the fridge, you know? Um, anyway, so I went to Canberra overnight when he was six months old and was feeling like really intensely kind of panicked about it beforehand. And like on the way to the airport was like, <laughs> and then as soon as I sat on the plane and the doors shut and I hate flying, yeah. I hate mm. flying. But as soon as the doors shut, I was like, Oh my God, mm. this is amazing. I can have a drink. Yeah. I can sit here and I don't, cause I'd, I'd flown a lot with him by that stage already, but I was like, I don't have to breastfeed him as we're taking off. I don't have to worry about anyone judging me for having a cup of coffee or like a wine while he's there can just enjoy this. And then I went and I, you know, slept by myself for the first time in six months. I woke up and my boobs were rock hard, but that was fine. I just like expressed in the, in the shower. And then I came home and I was like, that was amazing. And even though I'd gone for work, it still felt really luxe to like go and sleep in a hotel and have some wine. But I think that like facilitating a new mum to have at least one night away when her baby is like in that first six months or definitely the first year is really important. So even if like at a baby shower, instead of saying like, oh, I'm going to you know come and buy you all this bullshit that they're going to grow out of that you don't need because everyone just gives you everything. Mm. Get people to come and put like 10 or 15, whatever they would have spent on the baby shower gift, mm-hmm. put in a jar while you're pregnant. And then every week put a pound in or five pounds or whatever you can afford, just put it in the jar and then six months in, whatever you've got, say, this is my, this is my fire fund. This yeah. is my night away fund. And yeah. if you've got a partner, then they, they just have to deal with the baby. Or if you've got family around that can help, you know, or friends or whatever. And you just have to go and do it as hard as it is. Yeah. Because the first one is the hardest. And then it gets, it gets easier. And I think that Ooh, like you get a little taste for it, Clem. You get a little taste for it. Distance yeah. from your kids when they're young is like mm, really, yeah. really important. Like before I had kids, I never understood spas. 
no desire to go to a spa. I was like, why would you go to a spa? Whatever, just don't care, just don't care. Got, Have a bath. Oh, more interesting things to do. Don't yeah. don't give them monkeys about spas. And then I like, had a baby and I was like, oh. Yeah. And yeah. then I remember going with Pete to one a few years ago and we went, it was one of these ones, it was a Centre Parks one where they have the beds, like on, on the upstairs <gasps> they have loads of beds, like water beds mm. and blankets and stuff. Oh my God. And we walked round and there was, in each bed, there was like a woman asleep and Pete was like, why, why they all, why would you pay money to come to a spa and then just just go to sleep? And I was like, oh, mate, you. <laughs> you, you if you know. don't know me by now, you will never, never, never know me. <laughs> and he said, thank you, Mick Hucknall. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? It so, is. And I've mentioned on the podcast before, but after I had my second son, second son, second child, um, I got really sick about, he was about a year old, and I, I think I had just had, exhaustion but they took me to hospital and they thought I had a heart attack oh my and god I, um, and you got a break for for 12 hours in a dark room they put a drip in me and no one touched me I didn't go to the toilet someone just fed and I was like oh my fucking god it's come to this yeah. I've had to be broken and yeah. they were like no you like it was just a that's quite common you know like yeah. when they go to hospital and they've got kids and mm. they might have like broken a leg or something like that or they yeah. just have to have an extended stay in hospital yeah and the, on the one hand they're like well it sort of sucks being in hospital and being sick but on the mm. other they're like this is an enforced break because my baby can't like i, I actually can't leave the hospital no yeah. one forced me to do it you know no do you know that's also why a lot of um new mums either start smoking or take up smoking again because it's it's a thing that they can legitimately say i'm, I'm having a cigarette so the baby or the kid can't be near mm. me yeah you know, just need five minutes yeah yeah yeah. and that's it literally at your, the detriment of your health mm. but it's a it's a break mm. i know i didn't smoke for a very very long time like when, when i back when i went back into comedy i was like oh, that's where all the cool kids go outside yeah. and i can talk to adults and and yeah and also and it just reminded me of my 20s and it mm. reminded me of a, of a helen that had somehow disappeared and i was like that's so powerful i started smoking again i I've quit. <laughs> Guys, it sounds like you're telling everyone they should start smoking. No, I, just say? I will say I've quit. I've quit again. I've quit again as well. But I started smoking again. Have when I, I was... Yep, yep. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I started Ooh. smoking when I was writing the second book again yeah. because it was like, partly it was because, you know, then you get five minutes to leave the library and mm. go and stand in the street and just... Yeah. And also partly because the book is like so traumatising in parts. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. <laughs> but also because it made me feel like I was my old self. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I could re- I've re-found some part of me that was like cool and yeah. edgy and, you know, yeah. I don't give a fuck, you know? I hang out in the cool places with the cool people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I still... It, it yeah. made me when, feel sexy, you know? Like Yes. Yeah. We don't condone it. Please don't the smoke, though. No. Um, because also it gives you lung cancer and then you yeah. die. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. But we don't smoke. Anyway, yeah. Don't smoke. I'm right, gonna call this why you should smoke special. <laughs> Smoking with Clementine um, Ford. <laughs> but let's like so going back to sort of the broader problem of the patriarchy and all this bullshit that we're all having to put up with, how do we change things? And specifically I suppose I've got two sons, mm. they're um four and eight, and I'm like, how do I raise these children mm. to not be assholes? And please please help me, Clementine, is what I'm saying to you. <laughs> yeah. I, I get asked that question a lot and I always have to say, right, disclaimer, my son is three and I do not fucking know what to do with him when he's a teenager, you know, because mm. conversely, like I see in him all of the beautiful potential and possibility of like, you know, so many little boys are like smooshy and cuddly and lovely and they love their mums and they, they just want to be around their mums and 
But when people say things like, oh, boys will be boys, you're like, no, well, actually, boys, when they're little, are not what you're saying they are. You know, mm. they, they're they conditioned into that in the same way that girls are conditioned into stuff. But the thought that people could just remove themselves from trying to maintain that beautiful, like, intimacy in their sons or that they, they would they would somehow try and, like, beat that out of them, you know. Yeah, I'm sometimes, not doing that. Sometimes, sometimes physically. Take that off yeah. list. <laughs> You know, that, that that's just so sad. And then and then the other thing as well is that I get asked that question all the time by women. And I never really get asked that question by men. Mm. And I know men read my books, but they don't come to, like, sessions with me in anywhere near the same numbers as women. And maybe they don't ask the questions because they feel like it's a space that they want to listen in. I mean, hopefully that's true. But I, I also just think that they're like, it doesn't even occur to them that maybe that's a question that they should be asking. Maybe that's a responsibility they should be taking on about how they can raise respectful sons. Mm. You know, it again, comes back to the, the, the domestic divide. You know, even in, like, relatively equal households, mm. the women are probably still doing far more of the, you know, mm. still bearing far more of the mental load. They're still probably taking on far more of the responsibilities. And children see that and mm. they absorb it. And so we need to model it. We need to model it. But also, yeah. do we need to, like, I'm thinking, like, practical steps. Like, do we need to sit them down and go, right, this, this is the patriarchy and let me, let me draw you a picture. And, uh, you know, flow yes. charts and PowerPoint presentations and, you know, what. I, I actually think that's an amazing idea, you know. I just think that, that the key to everything is just ongoing dialogue and conversation. You know, you can't sit, de- you can't sit 15, 16-year-old boys down and talk to them about consent for the first time in their lives. You have to talk to all children about consent from the moment that they're born. Mm. And when I say talk to them about it, I mean like model it and also reiterate it. So, you know, Mm. you don't talk to a three-year-old about sexual consent because that's weird. Yeah. But you do say, you know, can I give you a hug? Yeah. You know? I I think Philippa Perry has a bit about, yeah, like never make a child give another relative a kiss or a cuddle oh no I feel really yucky about that and tickling so I always say with my son can I give you a cuddle you know um or can I give you a kiss and listen to what he says and then if he's if he tells me to stop then I'll stop immediately and then I'll repeat it back to him I'm, I'm stopping because you've asked me to stop and when someone says stop you have to stop yeah so the other thing that we've started doing now as well which um my adult friends are doing with him is saying to him, like, if they're saying goodbye, they say, like, do you want a hug? Or do you want a high five? Do you want a fist bump? Or do you want a little dance? And then he gets to decide how they say goodbye. And I'm like, mostly he says, you know, dance or fist bump. Yeah. It's like a fun thing for them to do. Yeah. And I think that's a really nice way to kind of give children power over their own bodies as well. And Yeah. No, exactly. And also about, like, reading, like, the me- like my kids are getting a bit older, and so reading what they see in film. But, yeah, my son watched Top Gun at a friend's house, and then he came back and he said, oh, mummy, when you kiss, you've got to do this wiggly thing. And, like, like <laughs> kissed me on the arm, but kind of went, oh. I said, no, no, that's not, not how we kiss. But he'd seen a betrayal of kissing that he hadn't seen before, and we had mm. to chat about, no, that's a... You know, when you grow up and love each other very... <laughs> Although also there's a special hug. Yeah, exactly. Magic cuddle. Magic cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> so all the... Oh, oh. And especially with things like porn and stuff, they all kind of mm. like, how do you yeah, navigate what that all means and things like that. How, how old are your children? Uh, nearly 11 and 8. Yeah, because the average age for boys to watch hardcore pornography for the first time is 11. Wow. Yeah. So I'm getting into the that zone, Ellie. Yeah. I'm going to just... Hang on, I just have to cut... Um, 
cut all the cables in my house and <laughs> pair of scissors quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a really scary thing because it's just, it's inevitable almost that that's going to yeah. happen. And I, and I find I'm really distressed by that, not just because what's it teaching them about what sex looks like, mm. but also because I think that most, I think you would say most, if not all, 11-year-olds whose first experience of sex is watching hardcore porn for the first time, that that is not actually something that they'll be okay with. You know, Mm. I think that a lot of, you know, they might be watching it with their friends or they might be watching it out of curiosity, but I think that that stuff would be pretty scary if you were seeing it for the first time and you had no concept of what sex was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was jazz mags when we were 11, but that's a bit different, you know. Difference to see, you know, just a nice pair of tits. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. To getting, yeah. So... (laughs) Do you ever like? Do you ever sort of lose hope? Like, do you ever wake up and just think, God, right? Donald Trump's the president of America, and like you porn, and then <laughs> like all these cases you hear about, like the the girl in America who was raped by that guy, and then he just got let off with a, you know. What oh, was bro, I just I just got back from Belfast this morning where the Ulster rape trial happened as well. Oh you know, yeah, the, yeah. Mm. Oh god. So yeah. So do you ever just kind of wake up and go, I I I don't know that we're gonna beat this thing. I don't know. Or do you just have to keep going? Do you just have to keep fighting? Yeah, I mean, like, I think like anyone, I have days where I feel really despairing. And, you know, the thing about... This is the naive sort of Pollyanna in me that when Trump won the election... I mean, yes, we can say that we it's a fact Trump won the election because people are racist. And, you know, they, and they love that Trump just says whatever he wants and it gives mm. them permission and license to say whatever they want and they just love the spectacle of it, you know? All of the pop culture that we grow up with celebrates heroes and celebrates like the bad guys losing. And yet everything that people are willing to to kind of cheer on indicates that they're not on the side of the goodies. No. They're on the side of the baddies. Mm. Like, you know, all these people now who... This is like what I mean. Trump I feel like he... the system. They would be the stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was literally about to say. I feel like I live in the end of the Empire Strikes yeah. Back. Like yeah. that's where I feel like I'm at, and I just yeah. keep having to hold on the fact to the fact that hopefully Return of the Jedi is coming. We're all going to go and live in some sort of nutty centre parks with a load of teddy bears. That's it's going to be all right. Please tell me that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Is it going to be all right? I mean, that, yeah, it's really, really distressing to see that people. In their, in their kind of, like, pop culture, love the idea that they would be a rebel and that they would challenge the man and, like, disrupt mm. the system. But in reality, they're like, nope, you've got to follow the rules. And they yeah. broke the rules. Mm. And, and that's, yeah, that's really fucked. But I also think, you know, so, again, with the Belfast thing, I was told that the day after the verdict was handed down, and, of course, all of the defendants were found not guilty, um, and the response to that was, you know, the, the woman's left Belfast now because why would you stay there? Uh, also, her details were released because people were in the trial and they were, mm. like, taking photos, I think, of, and, you know, released her name. Um, but after all of that, the day after the verdict, there was a huge rally in Belfast and, you know, thousands of people came out to protest this verdict. And from what I was told from some of the, um, the women that I met in Belfast last night, you know, who've been attending feminist rallies in Belfast for years – they saw people there that they've never seen hmm. come out, you know, they, these faces they don't know because it was just, it was a case that really deeply affected people. And I found that really encouraging, you know, that I think that as slow as and as glacial as the progress we're making seems to be and as, as big and toxic as the backlash is, more and more people are becoming aware of 
the dynamics of men's violence against women and rape culture and misogyny and patriarchy. And so even though it feels despairing to us and even though it feels like the progress is moving so slowly and even though the reality is that probably it won't happen in our lifetime, Mm. we are still, and we all have to hold on to the fact that what we're doing now is an essential part of the process, you know, that, Again, like in in so the goal should not necessarily be to completely fix the problem, but to be a part of the well, an ongoing to, just solution. Just to know that the problem won't be fixed in a few years, and so yeah. therefore they, it won't be one generation that does it. You know, there in Northern Ireland, uh, finally on October twenty first, abortion is going to become legal. All things going according to plan, and there are women long dead in Northern Ireland who fought really really hard to make that happen and they never lived to see Mm. the day and you know same with women in ireland who never lived to see the day they were an essential part of that process in the same way that any activist now is an essential part of the process Mm. so like so we're all part of we're all part of taking you know dismantling the system and taking out their own the little bits of the system that we can ourselves and one day someone's going to take the last piece out and and they could it has become the last piece that they could take out because of the pieces we're removing now and hopefully because this is how I'm going to raise them now that person will be one of my sons that's that's the dream excellent excellent feminism done yes solved good excellent there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Well, from one light topic to another, <laughs> climate change. Yeah, uh, let's change that. While really. we're putting the world to rights, let's let's do a bit of climate change chat. Are you? Are you? How concerned are you about the fact that the world is simultaneously oh. melting and going on fire? I'm quite worried. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty bloody scared of it, to be honest. Although, you know, but on the other hand, sometimes when I'm having really, really, you know, horrible bouts of anxiety. It actually makes me feel a little bit better to think, well, we'll all be dead in the climate wars soon. You know, when you're like, how can I live with this anxiety for the rest of my life? Oh, well, it probably won't be that long. Don't have to. No, yeah. no it's fine. The yeah, I'm really bloody scared. It's terrifying yeah, to yeah. think of our children living in a Mad Max style future, you know, like mm. to like 
find a tiny little precious bottle of water to give to my son on his 21st birthday. Here you go, darling. That's right. Or we could just have I paid $500,000 for it. <laughs> there was a, a thing shared last night about Kerry O'Brien, who's a guy in Australia, and he said, I, when I was a journalist in the 1980s and 90s, I'm talking about then, and no one listened. And they're saying exactly the same yep. things. 20, 30 years ago and no one listened. And now we're at this crazy tipping point where it could be at the point of no return. Mm. Who knows? Oh, look at Dennis Quaid in The Day After Tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly right. There's, I mean, what is interesting, we're not all despairing. The bad guys aren't essentially winning because there's been an uprising. There has been... They're, they're, their children, like we've got your Gretas of the world, have kind of going, don't fuck this up for me. I mean, you have fucked yeah. it up for me. You've got, you know, the the big summit that was in New York yeah. and our dreadful um, Prime Minister from Australia was there and all slagging off this 16-year-old girl who's trying to oh, affect... They're terrified of her, aren't they? Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's, a, that's sort of this amazing kind of thing. It's not just about climate change. It's about this. It is about the patriarchy. It is about... Mm this young strong girl he's not behaving like a 16 year old mm. girl she's not coquettish she's not being pretty and, and flicking her hair she's fucking angry mm. and mm. she's pointing the finger at them and they're just and it's, it's, I find it hard not to feel hopeless you know when you're washing out your yoghurt pots aren't you supposed to turning off the lights and then you look at the emissions coming out of these fucking factories all over the world and yeah, you know, people like dumping stuff in the sea yeah. it's a hundred yeah. companies in the world that are responsible for over 75% of the world's emissions or, yeah yeah you know mm. and also in australia where someone could correct me on this but my understanding is that because we used to basically just ship our all of our recycling to china for them to deal with and they've essentially said now no not doing it anymore so we're still recycling but where does it go but then do we do we, do we give up though then or do we like as we were saying before do we go well we've just got to chip yeah. away we've just got to chip away and go okay, maybe this particular tiny thing won't make the difference, but maybe if everybody does a tiny thing, eventually over time it will make a difference. And it's about how we how we choose our, or I guess how we choose to spend our money, how we choose to spend our holidays, how we, all those sort of things mm-hmm. that we, it's that like that tiny shifts that, that, that um, make that change. Well, we hope so. But yeah, essentially we've got to make sure that the people in charge actually give two shits about whether we live in 10 years time or 20 years time but to be fair some companies are trying to make an effort which brings me neatly helen to our sponsor for this podcast so neatly i love these guys i love the co-op do you know why great bunch of lads there's one near my house right so i don't have to drive (laughs) yeah win and they are being great guys and girls because they're using recyclable materials and they've got a big aim yeah I uh, think you'll find, Helen, that they've replaced uh, the bags with compostable bags. Ooh. I know. I am. Yeah. That's piqued her interest. Yeah. Do you want some more fun facts? I love fun facts. I wish I lived near the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? All the bases of their pizzas are now cardboard. Yeah. All the straws, their co-op straws are, are uh, paper. Yes. And this blew my mind, lads. Yeah. They are working on a biodegradable tea bag. I'll be ah. honest, I did not know tea bags were not biodegradable. I've been I chucking them in the compost. Well, Can they not go in the compost? Well, I don't know, but they're working on a biodegradable one. That's all we need to know. I love really. these guys. And their margarita pizzas, I will say, are fantastic. 
Excellent. So I am only going to buy their pizzas, um, but I but I think they're doing a great job, Billy. Yeah. Yes. And they did this thing at Glastonbury where they had they sold sam- sandwiches in entirely compostable packaging. Yeah. So because I think festivals are a big thing because we were at the mm. Edinburgh Festival this summer mm. and we were working walking around looking at all these posters and flyers, including our own. I'm not, you know. No, we were part of the up. problem, Billy. But we were thinking, my God, like, and all the plastic glasses from the outside beers and like, yeah, just mm. the footprint of that festival must be insane extortionate yeah and they, like they had a recycle they had recycling bins but like you could see people have just chucked any old shit in there like mm. so yeah so that's that's a good thing they're doing and they had a deposit and return scheme where they would get people to bring back their plastic and then they recycled it so that was good well you know that's that's something isn't it that's a reason to be cheerful fucking yes you want yeah. to support the good guys yeah i would in all seriousness definitely want to shop there because I just think, you know, you go to the deli counter and you, I mean, obviously we shouldn't be eating meat either, but you go to the deli counter to buy your meat at the supermarket and they yeah. always wrap it in plastic and paper. And I always say, I oh, just, you know, no, no paper at least just put it in the plastic. Yeah. And I always think to myself that I should bring my Tupperware, but I checked with my local deli counter and they said, Oh, even with that, we're like just based on food hygiene rules. We have to wrap it in the plastic. <sighs> and then when I was flying to, um, to Belfast yesterday I hadn't flown internally in in the UK yet and I was astonished at the fact that you have to put all of your toiletries in the little plastic yeah glad wrap mm. bags yeah I thought there must be millions of those a year that yeah. just get chucked that's that's it and you could just put them in there literally put them on the tub and go look there's my lipstick there's yeah. my foundation there's well, just my... ask people to bring their own little paper bags yeah you know I know They've got an X-ray machine, yeah. Clem. That's, That's where if we start with the airports. Yes. Close that down. <laughs> anyway, co-op is a good idea. Yes, there cool. we are. I think they're great. Yes. <laughs> Excellent stuff. <laughs> I actually bought one of their ready meals today because I was running late for this podcast and I got one of their lovely ready meals wrapped in the cardboard and it was very delicious. So it was very handy for me. Well, there we go. Thanks. Thanks, the co-op. Thank you. Well, that's, that's climate change done as well. I mean, we've just oh, solved all the world's problems, I basically. I feel very smug. Yes. Um, now, to finish up, uh, Clementine, we usually have a scummy mummy confession. Have you got one you might share with us? Uh, um, I just so got a, many things. I just got a text from my nanny saying my son, my son may have watched something inappropriate on the internet. That's that's pretty scummy. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, this is like a live scummy mummy confession. <laughs> no. Oh my god! Uh, what was it? Uh, oh, she said uh, something. He said he's just seen something very inappropriate. Uh, just a bit oh. worried what he'd seen. Sorry to worry you. What? Uh, don't want to. Didn't want to not say anything. What? No! <laughs> you, you have worried me. It's like me. I'm worried. <laughs> what have I seen? What has he seen? I, I must know. know. I must know. Text oh. her back now. Oh. Did he watch some Jeremy Vine? I don't know. <laughs> oh dear. Scummy mummy. Oh, I don't know if I've got a singular confession. I don't know. Look, to be honest, I've been a completely 100% perfect mother. So I, I would believe that. <laughs> You're a beacon. A beacon for all mothers. <laughs> I do I do have him re-wear his socks all the time. Oh, well, it's a oh this, is, this is not not scummy mummy I think this is a good trick actually but yeah. um, I, I worry I guess that it's going to create unhealthy habits later on but we have I've got a pineapple like a sort of a plastic pineapple with a lid on it in, in my kitchen and um, I've come up with an entity called the treat witch my son named her and her name's Lally and the treat witch comes whenever I need him to do anything <laughs> 
This is the nice so, part. Like a little, so I'm bribing him, basically. Yeah. But, you know, you gotta, you do what yeah. you're going to do, particularly when oh. you're a single mum. Oh, well, what a sort of emotional journey this has been to. I know. Gosh. <laughs> it's been exciting times. Yes. Not only because I want to know what my son has watched on and the internet. she texted you back. I really no, want to know. No, no. She, yeah, uh, we'll find out. Because uh, it's, it's on, what's it called? Uh, airplane. Do you want me to text her back? I'm, I really want right. to know. <laughs> I'm so excited. Did it, he it, watch? What, what's it going to be? I don't know. I know my friend... The Nuremberg works. rallies, clips. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, where, what are your books called? My first book's called Fight Like a Girl. My second book is called Boys Will Be Boys. And you can find them in UK bookstores. If, if your local bookstore... Thank God, because I was just about to ask. Where yeah. can you find your book? If, you if your local bookstore doesn't have it, then, then ask them to order it in yeah. yeah I'd rather people ask their bookstores to order it in than order on Amazon I, I'm um, really sorry <laughs> if, you, if you want to see me clapping back to trolls online you can follow me on Instagram as well my username is just clementine underscore ford uh, yeah come and come and find and, me there uh, just wanted to say thank you to all our listeners who support us throughout all of this and we're going on tours all the time aren't we Ellie yes go to scummymummies.com we've got the autumn tour we're sort of kicked off now we're doing a Christmas show as well so yeah it's going to be good times uh, our book is still, still in print. print yeah and you can follow us on the social media at Scummy Mummies I think that's about it really I think we're done I think yeah, yeah fuck the patriarchy yeah yeah refreeze the ice caps <laughs> okay <laughs> Thank you so much, Clementine. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great to be here. I'm so thrilled. Oh, it's been fab. Excellent. Until next time. Bye bye. Bye. It might have been Top Gun that he was. He thinks everything's inappropriate. He's quite innocent. So he told her he thought it was inappropriate. He's here. He's what? He's okay. You may not want to put this on the point. He said, hey, Hugo said something a bit concerning about inappropriate films. He said he was sharing a bed with you at Disneyland and that he had seen something very inappropriate in films about that sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just a bit worried where he had seen that. Sorry to worry you. Oh, my God. He thinks he's going to go to Disneyland and sleep with his mother. Is that what what she's saying? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. Well, there we go. There's a podcast first. (laughs) Alive. Alive. Scummy mummy confession, unraveling <laughs> as we record. That's absolutely. She's top seen dollar. the text. She's seen the text. I've got the two double ticks. That's top draw. That. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.